0: Hi hey everyone, this is Uncivilized Podcast Episode 20, and this is Artemis as always. Today we're doing a book review of Invisible Generation by Jason Rogers. The subtitle is Rants, Polemics and Critical Theory Against the Planetary Work Machine. Um, if the name is familiar and you've read Oak Journal, I know for a fact he was in Oak Journal 1 in his essay about anti-Semitism. It's the same one I was featured in uh, when I talked about regional collapse, regional liberation. So, I would definitely look out for Oak Journal uh, in the future or any other older stuff, just because that's kind of how I've been able to get a hold of this book. Um, because the people behind Oak were awesome, kind of recommended that Jason send it out to me. I got this in early October, and I just didn't have the time, unfortunately, to get to it between a really bad flu well, really two spots of a really bad flu and then finishing up my senior semester of university. Um, this book is really interesting. It includes, obviously, little essays. Uh, some of them are like one page. Some of them are several pages. They're not ever super long. Most of them are actually really accessible, even if there's content you're not super familiar with. I would only say that there's one or two between the couple dozen that are in here that I, I kind of struggled with, but it's only a few moments, and I've had to do a little bit of research. Um, and that mostly centers around kind of painting from 50s post-structuralist, post-modernist French philosophers like Deleuze, uh, Foucault, through um, stuff about uh, war machines or nomadic war machines, if you're familiar with those, some of the stuff about discipline and punish, internalization, uh, control and decontrol, some of the th- uh, the ideas that from that. Though it's not all that, you just obviously very much take from a lot of those good ideas that are present. And he even mentions, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, what is it, the ideological supermarket, a little bit, take what you want and leave the rest. Uh, So to speak, being a a nomad in that ideological sense
1: is something he touches on quite a bit. Um, And some of you might also be going around on social media titled, This is War. Super interesting. I'll see if I can find
0: a way to post it in the description, like a link to it, or if I can find any of his other flyers. Uh, obviously, any relevant information to the book, we'll have in the description. I'm not sure when this goes up, because we're also backlogged. Uh, for once, we actually have another episode, episode 19, that'll be in, uh, an interview with um, Julian Lehner, the third time he'll be on. It was a really great uh, episode. We talked about uh, species essence and humanism and how that relates to the anti-civilization kind of stream of anarchism, it's, it's super interesting. Uh, but back to Jason, um, again, this that's super interesting because he has an anti-civilization perspective, um, but it's, it's fairly unique in that he's taking from these people and speaking about Julian, he actually, in my mind, overlaps quite a bit in the interest of, uh, of Deleuze and some of those sort of people. And he touches on something called guerrilla ontology, which is a term that I was first introduced to by Julian I know it doesn't or I don't believe it comes from Julian um, but I do find it interesting that there's quite a bit of overlap but also still just so so interesting so the the work I have in front of me right now you might actually hear me flipping through it I'm trying to want to go through some of the specific essays or some of the work and flyers just to give you an idea what this work is kind of like um, I'm still asking out how I want to do book reviews because I've done one, obviously, When We Are human, by um, John Zerzian, Uh and that was, it had some mixed reviews and that people like you could have just taught about it, you didn't really review it, or some people had the opposite belief that they wanted to know more about the book. Um, so I'm still kind of figuring out how I want to do these. So I'm kind of thinking I'll just do some of the essays that I found most interesting, uh, the, in total, the work is almost 190 pages. In fact, it's just, just under the last flyer is on page 189, and the essay ends on page 188. Um, and again, it's really accessible. Uh, the text is large enough. Um, I don't have vision problems, but you know, I have some people who need larger text. And to be honest, it, this text, um, one of my partners has a vision problem and found that this book was easy to read. Uh, So I found that, you know, just just something about accessibility, whether that was intentional or not. I just found that it was spaced well, the font is easy, all that sort of stuff. It's not cramped. Uh, There are some issues I have with, there's some primitivist text or anti-siv text that they just, there's so many essays that they're trying to fit them into a, like a smaller page count that it's like so fucking cramped. But again, this is really well formatted. Uh, It's by a media. I should touch on, I should say that. Um. I don't have a whole lot of experience with them, um, personally, so I can't speak to them, but they are, the, they are the publishers. So the first essay I want to get into is actually his first one, called Magic Words, and it's kind of getting into the, what he calls the occult nature of reality, and he touches on how magic is kind of like occult or esoteric knowledge can be used as a means of like rewilding or, or de-civilization. Um and it touches into some of the thinking of like chaos versus control. Um if you're asked to if you're one of those hyper rationalist, maybe you know, materialist leftists in the sense of kind of like a Marxist or a a, a left wing anarchist perspective, you may find this interesting, but it may be a little bit out of your ballpark. This is stuff I'm becoming more and more open to, I I guess you can say. So definitely interested in uh, in reading it because it's something I don't have much experience with outside of like certain social media spaces. I know some people try to take you know, some of their, um, I don't want to say Wiccan, I, I suppose pagan is the best belief or best term, some of their pagan magic and infuse it with an anti-civilization perspective. Uh, but this is my first real experience with it in kind of a, a more seriously written form. And he touches on how that kind of looks in the way he he writes as well. Um, he also references uh, Farrell Fawn, which is interesting. He does explicitly say um, anarcho-primitivism. I'm actually going to quote very quickly to give a summary kind of what this is like. As a current anarcho-primitivism has the goal of the abolition of civilization, one of the major concepts how to do this is the process of de-civilization deconditioning oneself from the tendrils of oppression which physically ensnare us. One way of expressing this goal might be to stop using the reality maps given to us by civilization, return to a more organic map, adopting a mode of existence which allows greater liberty. So the critical theory of primitivism has been, has been of great influence on my own thinking, I often find it difficult to translate aspects of this into a working practice. As important as learning primitive survival skills and walking in the wild nature can be, these actions still do not appear to directly confront the totality of everyday life. To confront the totality, it seems necessary to develop means of confronting the symbol system which constructs reality. One practice that seems to be heading in that direction is that of anarcho-surrealist Ron Stilcalci, which proposed the use of surrealist techniques as a means of breaking civilization. Then he goes on to quote the surrealist artist. Um, so again, kind of this unique thinking of breaking with these 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 maps, these we you know he call them reality maps. Um and that does to me remind me of some of Zerzan's uh animal dreams and kind of anti anti symbology uh writings. Uh but again in a very different sort of way.
1: And and I think the the way you could explain this entire book really would be Quote to con- directly
0: confront the totality of everyday life. That I would say is the the thesis of this of this collection of essays and flyers. Um, again, super. And as soon as I read this, I was like, this is super promising. But I got sick and I couldn't keep up with it. And in, in before and after most essays, there's a one or at least one or two. Um, flyers that go with it. Um, and I'm not sure how it looked if, if, at one point he, you know, he writes these essays and the flyers go with them, or he finds relevant flyers. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't keep up with Jason because uh, he doesn't have smartphones or anything. I don't think he even uses an email. Um, from what it sounds like, uh, he just uses a P.O. box. People get in touch with him. And actually, on his P.O. box uh, on his um flyers, he has something called. Campaign to play for key P.O. Box, and I won't get into it. Um, obviously, it's public, but I can have it in the description if anyone's interested in getting in contact with him. I will put it there. Um, he has, and some of them are different. He has one that's kind of like an IWW chapter, but instead of Industrial uh, Workers of the World, it's I Won't Work. And it's like a chapter. It's super interesting. Uh, the next one I want to go into is Control and Decontrol. And again, he, the opening sentence is My project is oriented towards Decontrol right uh a kind of negation is a is a big way this text comes through is it's very negation uh, so one quote i'm going to pull from this is control is the collective totality of structures institution and practices which interlock to form a larger system of hegemony this includes obvious forms of repression such as police and prisons but also less obvious forms such as domestication and recuperation the control system is vast and ever present there are no aspects of life which it does not touch and then he goes on, and he talks about what that looks like, control and decontrol. And on the last uh, paragraph here, Rather than create a social program, resistance could come in the form of becoming a glitch in the cybernetic system. The totality is ever-present, then sites of resistance are rendered ever-present, too. As the system of control is spread over the entire world, the localized control structures is rendered weak and fragile. As each of these interlocking when one is damaged, so is the whole. Which is, of course, no surprise. That last part, no surprise. Um, technological globalism. Everything is interconnected. Um, from every country to
1: every city, it's all you know. You can't disconnect my city in Beijing. It's all even that directly
0: controlled, We have lots of interlocking systems at play, and he does get into cybernetics as well, which is something that I don't find talked discussed enough which is interesting because cybernetics is the direction in which technology and control has gone. And really one of the biggest voices for that in the anti-civilization current, though he's not primitivist, is Wolfie Lanchester, regardless of how you feel about him. Um, that is just the fact he's written quite a bit on on cybernetics, and I've always, I've always appreciated what he has to say. So the next essay I want to touch on is nomadism. Uh, this is the one I think was one of my favorites. This one goes into quite a bit of without always mentioning them, um some of the, the French philosophers. He does mention he's not French obviously, but I'm bored. He does he does get into uh Novator and Pearlman and Stirner. Um, but it's it's wonderful. Psychic like nomadism, from my understanding. Uh, when I say that, I tend to think of um, some of the nomadic, nomadic thinking of, of Deleuze from capitalism and schizophrenia, um, of which I have some experience because I have read the Anti-Oedipus, uh, but I have not read a thousand uh, plateaus for those who do know what I'm talking about. For those I don't, that whole lot to try and read, it's very difficult, uh, but he does bring them in a few times uh, throughout this work. Um, but it was, as, as I say, it's usually pretty accessible. I'm going to quote quickly from Psychonomatism. And, it, it, and I will say this very quickly. And I posted this on Twitter. I would be like, yeah, I'm going to underline and bracket and make things easier for when I go to review it. And then I realized, like, by the end, basically everything had been underlined because everything was so interesting. And I just had such a good time with this work that I was so surprised that when I looked back, I was like, holy shit, I have underlined or circled basically 95% of the book. By the, by the time I was done. So, the opening uh, couple sentences to nomadism go as follows I intend to become a psychic nomad, advancing theory and practice as mobile actions. The sterilization, commodification, and repackaging of radical concepts as lifestyle brand accessories is inevitable. Thus, it is necessary to keep moving, exploring new terrain, or become trapped by this process. Pragmatically, it may be best to act as if we are just one step ahead of the cops, as if both literal and brain police are on our trails. New modes of living, new aesthetics and advancements in our philosophies must be synthesized faster than they can be co-opted and placed in the market for consumption by the cultural industry. So it is necessary to become a nomad. By nomad, he does go on to explain, uh, he does not mean necessarily if, you know, physically moving, kind of like the hobos of the IWW, uh, which he directly uh, name drops. But the idea of of mental, right, psychic, mental, the idea is like you're always moving. You're not constrained by what he goes on to reference with Sterner, but, you know, spooks or apparitions, if you'd rather use that term. The idea is not being restrained, always under, always being in a process of critique and negation. That's how I read it. Maybe, you know, Jason might have a different time, but the way I'm reading it. Is that sort of what then? And he goes on to say, there is a long tradition of nomadism within anarchist currents. This nomadism can take a literal form. These range from the forced nomadism of exile, experienced by both by Bakunin and Goldman, to the IWW, hobo armies who would come into town to support, in support of strikes, to the roving insurrection of Renzo Novatore. There may be a hint of this in contemporary summit hoppers. This nomadism, however, does not need to take a literal form. This, that is, it does not have to mean geographic movement. It can also take the form of shifting, drifting, and expansive mental practices and interests. It can be psychic nomadism. This is probably even more important than the geographic drift. Better this nomadism than falling into the tendency towards crusty dogmatism displayed by a Butchen or a Shaanxi. Um I love, he, he, he is really good about kind of these little jabs throughout the work that I always really appreciate. He really comes at like the work wrist left-wing tendencies of anarchism and he does attack he has a really good essay uh how basically anarchism should not be seen as a left or left of the left but rather as as anti-left but not necessarily uh right-wing if if you're following me something we've talked about here plenty enough to varying degrees of acceptance depending what people interpret that at, because some people here then you're like that just means fascist third positionism which those people' inability to be nomadic in that sense, to be to be critical of their understanding of reality, and he goes in the same essay goes on about cool hunters. For those that are from unfamiliar cool hunters, people that would find kind of like new marketing things. So like, you know, they might go to underground culture zones, so to speak. So like, um, underground shows or just counterculture, and they'd be like, oh yeah, you know, let's market that aesthetic. Let's put it into hot topic. I or, or you know, Amazon, whatever, and he goes on that that used to be a thing because he has a postscript to this to this work um, and says, you know, this is kind of moved away. He
1: goes on to say this area. This is the area in which my critique does feel most outdated, it lacks much critique. Historic. Social media has become the dominant form of social production. Cool hunters no longer
0: have to stock sites of cool. They control them. Um, again, that goes into control, decontrol. A lot of them they might seem totally disconnected from one another, but they all do kind of come back to control until we need to resist that in everyday life. Um, and one really cool uh, quote that I had underlined here is a Luddite attack on manufacturers of consent. The cool hunters are dared to catch some of these thought bombs. Let them have them in hopes they might blow up in their faces. Uh again, it's just kind of a witty way of witty way of writing that I really appreciated. Uh another work on uh resonance, resistance, and minor compositions. I won't get too much into this one because this is one that's it's 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 deeper than some of the others if I'm gonna be honest. It's a little bit longer than the rest. Again, that's super long. it only goes from page forty or thirty seven to forty eight. I think the best the longest one is only about twelve, maybe. 15 pages off the top of my head. I can't quite remember. Uh, but again, they're not ever super long. And this is a book you can put down and just pick up whenever. And you can jump between essays. If you don't like one, you can literally just go and read another because they're not the clench of sense of deep build up. In my opinion, at least I didn't interpret it because maybe that's just because I have some exposure to a lot of these ideas. Uh, another one might might actually need to do that, but I, I never felt that. Um, So this one starts with, the world has become globalized, forming an interlocking network of domination, the totality, again, kind of always coming back to the idea of totality, totalitarianism, and its resistance. This is not a singular system, not a monolithic conspiracy. Instead is numerous structures interlocking a reiterating reiterating feedback system. And then later on he says, the situation calls for new tactics. In warfare, this is called asymmetrical warfare. The only way to win is to adopt non-standard tactics. He goes into someone's work called "Imaginal Machines: Autonomy and Self-Organization in the Revolution of Everyday Life." I'm not even going to try and pronounce the author's name, but that work, as soon as I read that, I was like, "That sounds fucking incredible!" Uh, every like every time he name drops a book or an essay, I'm like, "Where do you find this stuff? Like, this is incredible." Uh, but he does in, goes into the idea of of these. The concept which is most interesting to me is minor composition. The context is inspired by Deleuze and Guattari's concept of minor literature. Texts which use language in a way to subvert the dominant form. Minor literature is like a sprawling web, which does not present an authoritative or authoritarian message. Uh, this applies this concept of literature to a larger compositional model to any sort of cultural production, uh, which might be a play, it might be a video, it could be some form of detourment, uh, for those familiar, uh, which is something he goes into, that's from the Situation International. So this work kind of kind of gets into what does that look like? How does our propaganda, agitation become non-authoritarian, right? How do you be like this is not the only way, but how does it become kind of just confrontational in that sense, but it's also open to inviting people to engage with it in a sort of union of egoists kind of thinking or kind of a affinity group sort of style, just inspiring and support as opposed to a vanguardist message which he attacked very heavily throughout this this text being that way there's only one way to do something you must listen, you must follow us. again attacking kind of traditional left-wing thinking and he does get into some really interesting stuff with um franco bifo uh ferrari uh who's a italian economist of the, the marxist current um is semi-capitalism the idea of well really i'll just quote just, again he he says stuff much better than i ever could Quote, semi-capitalism is the integration of capitalism and sign production through electronic communication and information technology. Uh, postmodern theory often provides important insights into conditions of late capitalism, yet often includes the notion that nothing can be done about these conditions or where they are positive. Uh, and then he goes on the quote, uh, Berardi saying, quote, the new regime characterized by the fusion of media and capital. In this sphere, poetry meets advertisement and scientific thought means enterprise. Um. Really, which is something that a lot of us I think understand, but may not be able to say that. Like, if you look at traditional capitalism, how much of production and and capital is generated through hard consumer goods versus now, how much of it is ideas, it's symbols, it's the it's the it's the corporation, it's the logo, the symbols we put onto the product as opposed to the product itself. How important that is in relation to
1: symbols. Um I'm gonna quote once more. Consumption and production are seemingly integrated. Uh there's Gavin yeah, got that. Sorry. Uh, I still want
0: someone walk in. Let's just start. Consumption and production are seemingly integrated. Still, the corporations control the means of production and distribution. There is a total lack of autonomy within this quote, crowdsourcing. Um, and then later he says it would look like a totalized consumerist society where everyone's spare moment is on the market and where journalists in the blogosphere will have their every word quantified and evaluated by visual advertisers. Where producers are seemingly are simply, excuse me, simply consumers made more dependent on the marketplace by the illusion of greater participation in the marketplace. That last quote is actually from um, Siegel, Lee Siegel, uh, who is someone he is quoting, um, who is critiquing the issue of like futurism, which is kind of a whole kind of like cultural thinking. It's like a, it's it's both literature form but also kind of like a philosophy that kind of went from raising technology and advancement and very easily became a fascist movement, which is something he again touches on. There's just so many things I'm like, oh yeah, and I wonder if he will touch on that. And then like twenty pages later he's like bending it up in a way I didn't even intend or consider he would. And it's just it, he has such a beautiful way of writing. And I'm gonna keep saying that. Um but that this work is really interesting. Again, this specific essay is called um Resonance, on resonance, resistance, and minor compositions. Again, the idea of creating non authoritarian, non authoritative forms of literature or compositions, again, we can just refer it to that language. It's super important
1: to me. Um, and it's something I've come to realize in my own writing, um, especially interactions with a lot more
0: people like Julian, um, as opposed to kind of the Kisinski sort of writing of, like, oh, we have to do it this way. It's a revolution kind of lefty sort of way, as opposed to kind of Julian's, you know, kind of deconstructionist perspective, in that you know, you write and the the interpretation of anyone else is just that's fair, um, which I appreciate. Uh, he does have one called Friends and Agents. I found it relatable. I mean, that's much more of a very personal writing, that how he feels he doesn't have a whole lot of friends and he doesn't have a lot of empathy for people and that the line in social media between someone being a friend and someone being like a spy or an agent is very thin. Um, I won't quote too much from that but it's one I appreciated um, when authors can become very personal like that. There is one fire he had called Consolidated Control Configuration. Uh, it's super interesting because it's like a, taking out several kind of unrelated pictures and texts and putting them together to create a larger message. Um, I wish. I wonder if there's gonna be a way I can in the description kind of go with some of these. I'm not sure how that would look, but it'd be really interesting because this work is super beautiful. Uh, it's and sometimes it's grotesque, and that's on purpose because he dug into like this sort of like grotesque um, art art style that on purpose confronts our comfortabilities. Here's another uh, essay called Insurrection Daily. But it isn't all political to me, or more actually, everyday life is more political and important to me from the realm of, that is generally referred to as political. I share nothing for electoral campaigns and very little for the for most advocacy campaigns. Generally, reform striking is merely begging. It is goes on to say how basically every, everything is a struggle, everything is violent, and how sometimes he wants to be a hermit, but there is no escape conflict is the only possibility and according directly, that's the last sentence. Conflict is the only possibility. Um I see I think a lot of people are realizing in the green energy movement that escape or kind of drop out, escapism, whatever you want to call it, just isn't valid. Because like where do you go? And then when you leave, like the world still continues to burn. Um but of course the alternative to that isn't necessarily some left-wing revolutionary thinking, but what is the middle round and how do we fulfill both our, our interests but also come to terms of the fact that we are kind of insignificant in, in the larger development of, of civilization and its impact on, on the world and ourselves. Yeah, had one more I want to refer to here, Jihad of the Marginal Mosquitoes, which is one I, I read that title. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, Which is about DIY culture, but it's also like how it's under under attack, but it's how much of it has become, you know, like this podcast for one, a lot of it has been assimilated, right? So the old genes and things like that have been like, well, they still exist. Uh, A lot of it has gone online. It's on social media. It's on YouTube. Like this podcast is no exception as opposed to if we had done it on some other counter, we did on pirate radio kind of stuff, or if we did it in some other way. Um and he does and he goes into that. It's something, you know, it was hard to reach because I'm like my podcast, it's uh, important to me. It might be the regular, but it's still important. It he's attacking me, but I also understand like that's a valid criticism. So I'm gonna quote uh, a few times here. The many the many the world many of us love is under attack. The entire structure of the alternatives net web and the DIY counterculture is under assault. It is being undermined by an invisible ideology, the technocratic ideology. Ideology is the actual cryptocurrency. He currency. He later on and says, persistent rumors circulate that print is dead. Internet radio is easier. You can reach wider audience, and you can use technology for whatever means you like. All the while, the ideas play right into the hands of the power elite. Clear channel justifies its monopoly of the airwaves by stating that anyone can broadcast online. Print publications go out of business and are consolidated. Again, monopolistic corporations claim that it is okay. It is not a real monopoly because anyone can publish online. Internet publishing is the same issue. Avenues available on the internet become limited, more centralized. YouTube controls the distribution of amateur videos, constraining it to fit their will and reaping massive profits off the work of all these uh, presumers. Facebook has the largest archive of personal information of any organization, even more than the NSA. This information is their product. So it on, all kind of on the same notion. Uh, zines are not blogs. Blogs are no substitute. Internet radio is not a substitute for community or pirate radio. I suggest that blogs and internet radio are recuperative strategies by hegemony. Furthermore, reading on computer screens and e-readers is not such and the same as print. Later, I, I instead, I am inviting others to join this collective project, stating up front that I I want not a program of isolation, but a project of affinity and open conspiracy and union of egoists. egoists. Further, science can easily be distributed to outsiders without promising, compromising excuse me, compromising the content or form. These can be distributed hand-to-hand or left in public spaces. They can be left in public spaces in a confrontational manner, placed in them where they do not belong, such as laundromats, public bathrooms, and the churches. Liars, again, a big mode of his expression and his ideas, which are featured in, the, in this work. Liars function as a confrontational media to an even greater level. They can be posted to telephone polls, which he says is the freest of media, or left under windshield wipers. Pirate radio functions in a similar way, invading the airwaves and pissed up on all receivers in the vicinity. Radios are available nearly everywhere. Pirate radio can be used to jam other transmissions if greater confrontation is needed. The way they work in a—or uh, he goes on. They work in a way contrary to mass media, undermining it by its very form. These forms work as a against the image economy, the society of the spectacle. and. I've, uh, finishes up the totality invades every facet of life. Struggle must occur, thus, must thus occur in every facet of life. Alternative practices of nomadism and invisibility become necessities in asymmetrical warfare. I appreciate the concept of war of the, of the ants stolen from Mao, but hate Mao and such vanguardists. Thus, rather than war of an ant in Eris's name, as I declared the jihad of the marginal mosquitoes. The witch I again, so interesting. He yeah, has an essay on Turner capitalism, which I'm personally going to skip over. Um, but it does confront a similar or uh, a familiar issue that people have. He's oh, he's a individ- he's a hyper individualist capitalist fucking neo fascist. Of course, that's a bunch of bullshit. And he makes a good criticism uh, alongside others who have been making the same criticism. But apparently, leftists forget it is that capitalism is not individualist philosophy. It's collectivist. It's based in class society, and you have to submit to the will of the market and to supply and demand and all these things is how is it collect, how is an individualist if at every turn you must subject yourself to all these demands of, of abstract institutions. Here's a, an, an essay, Insurrections of Imagination, a special review of the collected writings of Renzo, Renzo, uh, Renzo Novatore, translated by uh, Wolfie in 2012 by Arnon Press, um, really goes into how important and fundamental Renzo's works are in that it's interesting that periodically they just show up again because they haven't until more recently we haven't had a whole lot of English translations but you know they they face in and out of relevancy and he just points out to how important that is that he that he continues to do so i won't quote too much from this but i found that i think um a lot of people might have this interesting uh, an interest in 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 Renzo and what his relevance might be, and he does go into he just did a little speculative about what Renzo might have been like had he not died in that in that for those that aren't familiar with a shootout with police at a at a bar or a restaurant, uh, and he does speculate oh he might have had a a more refined revolutionary thought or insurrectionary thought which I disagree with but it's fine to disagree. Um, his stuff on Black Friday, uh, cargo cults in the proletariat image. Uh, I won't get into those. Again, it's just because I'm skipping over them. I'm not trying to like make it seem irrelevant to buy this, but by quoting everything, it's just that I'm trying to find ones that people might find most relevant. Or ones that I personally was like when I was reading, I was stunned. Because there's a few in the in the contents that I have like circled over and over again. Like this is so fucking amazing. Um a Gain of Individuals against vitality. is a really cool one that goes into like egoism and, and such. Uh dog quote the first paragraph. All too often anarchism as a movement and as a discourse is oriented towards collectivist ideology. I mean this in a literal sense of an ideology. Much of what is called anarchism seems to be more of a form of hegelianism. possibly becomes a way for Marxists to smooth out more and more obvious contradictions of their ideology. To many so-called anarchists, freedom meets freedom. from the major machine, the Leviathan man, the superorganism they inhabit, obviously referring to Perlman's theory of Leviathan or civilization. Um, And he does go into a bit here of, of like again, leftism and its relationship to anarchism, uh, which I found interesting. Yeah, and this is where he explicitly says, quote, capitalism is a collectivist ideology as well as a structure of interlocking components. Individuality is not even the avoidance of other people. Most people want to be around others with the exception of some hermit types. It strikes me as unreasonably misanthropic to mandate communal organization as folks like anarcho-communists do. Um, I love, you know, again, these kind of pop shots that certain... Uh, groups or, or individuals. Um, and one of the final things from this I'll quote is, life becomes perpetual struggle, uh, becomes perpetual war for perpetual freedom. This is okay. Life is a struggle. Insurrection never ends. And civil war becomes the definition of a free society. Which actually, that last part, you know, civil war becomes the definition of free society, reminded me of the Invisible Committee and their thoughts on civil war, which either it's maybe it's coincidence or, or not, but some of what they said about civil war kind of came through in there. Uh, he does have something on the IWW, which I found really interesting because uh, uh, the relevant um, flyer he has attached as opposed to the last tagline I mentioned. Uh, accept no limitation, IWW, rootless cosmopolitan local, uh, don't fall for Stalinist recuperators, I won't, I won't work and I will win. Uh, abolish work, I won't work is what the flyer says. It's super amazing and very um, interesting work. Um, and, I, and some of the margins I just wrote, ha, this, this one's super witty. So for those interested, I would definitely get into it. I'm going to quote very, very uh, quickly from this. There have always
1: been two tendencies in the industrial workers of the world, which are more than contradictory. They are at odds with each other. One is a Richard and a centralized anti-work conspiracy. As egoists and
0: psychic nomads, we are free to loot ideas as we see fit. DIWW forms a pleasing practice for work resistance, but only if it blends cleanse the regimentation of cynicalism. This is particularly important as so many contemporary rebels do just the opposite in siege regimentation while distorting work resistance." And it goes into how DIWW could stand for, I don't work, or it does. Um, in reference to some of their old music, like Big Rock, uh, Tinny Mountain, this is an old-time folk song that has become a piece of a popular Americana. One of the most oh, popular versions was recorded by a member of the AWW. Um it Lyrically, it not only tells the tale of when wage work the ballast, but goes further to the deconstruction d- d- of work in production themselves, the replacement them by hedonism, quote, the little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rock, maybe connecting to Charles Fourier's dream of a trans- world transformed. Um, and it just goes into what that might look like, and basically this is almost like a, it's kind of like a manifesto for his kind of I won't work IWW chapter, which is kind of what this is supposed to kind of be. Again, very witty. Um, and then the following essay is kind of like a follow up, where it's the one claiming that the the person behind it's not Jason, but it's Bob Black, and he calls people Marxist Chomskys. Well, luckily, I am not Bob Black. I would go. Hard, I, it would be hard to go flying if I was flying if I was dying. I am not Bob. Bob was a big inspiration to me 20 years ago, and it's certainly he continues to be a big inspiration. His writing is often brilliant, but he is not a nice guy. This is common knowledge. Like most of I know. I no longer have any contact with him. It is particular, peculiar that so many leftoids seem to think that Bob has monopoly close a monopoly on anti-word post-left and its reactionary struggle. These are themes that have been dealt with long before Bob, and will be dealt with long after he is gone. I hold them that I hold them to their core to the anarchist project. Um, Just really funny and the the final tagline is for an eternal general strike. He has one on Rojava and recuperation. I won't get into that one, but it does go a bit into, again, kind of the relationship between leftism. I will actually get into this. I take that back, because I do think there's one part that's really important. Quote, Anarchism used to sometimes be called, quote, the left of the left, but this is never really true. Anarchism has always been post-left, even if some proponents at times couldn't leave behind all aspects of leftist ideology. Turner, Bakunin, Thoreau, Goldman, Berkman, McKay, Rocker, and even Kropotkin, when he was feeling lucid, and lucid uh, have always been at core a rejection of alternative uh, world management strategies in favor of no management. Uh, the form of self-organization favored by Rojava is the form of anarchism most often preferred by leftists. As the butch-inspired democratic Federalism is the one most clearly resembles the state. Um, and it does get into it. He talks about critical support uh, for it. Um, then there's kind of a similar one about his relationship to leftism. And now this is the one I want to get into, really, because we had a, a spiel there once I didn't want to get too into. Against uh, the poverty of language and thought, species on the cell phone. He does get into how cell phones both are, you know, they're hip, they're a part of the mainstream society, but they're also like overpowering, you can't escape them anymore, um, that many jobs require them of us, And but he does go into the idea, because it's kind of like a, a 16 point analysis, essentially, points 9 and 10 are interesting. Due to the addition of text messaging, cellular communication is trapped between orality and literacy and is neither the improvisation and open ended nature of spoken language nor the complexity and depth of written language. 10. This contributes to a poverty of language. The exchange is constant yet nearly meaningless. This poverty of language contributes to a poverty of thought. I kind of, this is where it'd be really interesting if I could get in touch, maybe have Jason on this in some way or another if he would. Subject themselves to that is. I'd like to engage with this because it's like, is that a bad thing? Because like, I'm critical symbols in their sort of language. And is so my thinking is. Yeah, but can that be a good thing? Like, yeah, what if it means that we have a poverty of thought? I don't know. I just find that interesting because w- would you apply the idea that because we did not have language before that we had a poverty of thought? I don't know. Maybe it's just not a clear. I just I just find that interesting. how do we engage with that? We're kind of having almost the text messaging kind of deconstructs the symbols in a sense. But it, you could also say substitutes it just for a more, I guess you could say mediated one. So I I don't know. I think there's a lot of interesting conversation that can come out of of what that looks like. Then I the next essay is technical authority, ideology, and the social construction of technology and technocracy, which is um fairly short. It's um about four pages. Um gets into, I think it's obvious, uh, quote, technology reproduces the ideology of totality, as technology proliferates, it changes the people and communities that use it, but in subtle but total ways. The point should not be confused with techn- technological determinism, technology is socially constructed, technology doesn't produce society, society produces technology and technology then reproduces society. Wolfie argued that technology, quote, always develops within a social context with the explicit aim of reproducing that context its form, its purpose, and its possibilities determined by that context, and this is precisely why no technology is neutral. He goes on to talk about basically the relationship between technology and society, and then how the technocracy has developed and how we can resist it. And he does reference the board here, um, and then how individualism and collectivism are in contradiction with each other within the context of technology. Um, I don't want to Quote from his last paragraph here: Should we ever be lucky enough to see the toppling of authoritarian, te- not, uh, t- th- authoritarian society, excuse me, technology should, would would not should but would go with it. Without coercion and social control, there would be no one willing to do the alienated and demanding labor required to maintain a industrial society. Without wage slaves, shit workers, and literal shit labor of literal slave labor, excuse me, it cannot be maintained. The society that would arise would certainly have some sort of tools and technology, but it would not be the sort one would generally call tech. It would most likely be low-tech, the sort of objects that should be treated by individuals, individual small communities.
1: Um, so I think that this is most primitivist work in that sense of um, just an outright teaching technology that
0: isn't necessarily philosophical like some of its other works. And I do I do like this because it confronts the issues leftists have. Oh, we're just going to fucking automate everything. and It'll all be okay. It's like, well, how do you get there? And, you know, and some leftists are really masked off. Like, yeah, we're going to have militarized the labor. You're going to work and you're going to fucking like it. You're going to do all the grunt work. But, of course, it wouldn't be them doing it. No, it would be um, everyone else because they're just too smart for that. Uh, the control of computerized television is another essay I really appreciated. Basically how uh, television has moved from a very rare item to one that has now watches, us you know, CCTVs and, you know, the idea that we're kind of controlled by the images they're producing to us. I don't know, it's just, it's so interesting that we, it, I think a lot of it, he kind of talks, but we internalize some of the, the messaging that comes with it. And he talks about um, the journal Green Anarchy, which is really interesting, because I know we did work with that at one point. Which is so nice to hear, you know, kind of these callbacks to the older green anarchy movements. Uh, I want to quote very quickly. Even lesser actions are considered absurd now. Twenty years ago, one could promote the elimination of television. One could live without TV themselves and encourage others to do the same. A person who did such might be considered eccentric, idealistic, or a little weird, but it was still a viable option. Who in this day and age could even imagine living without a computer, living without internet, living without a cell phone? It is crazy talk. To know what society has rendered it impossible.
1: So again, the, the idea is that it becomes so. I guess you could say, like, ubiquitous in our society that you can't escape
0: it, right? You go outside and even if you don't have it at home, which is extremely weird, but there's screens everywhere. You literally cannot escape it. The last thing I'll quote. A technocratic New World Order relies on the myth of the machine. Maybe it is time to unveil a Thorellian myth of uprising. The more ever-present an expansive totalitarian system is, the more thinly spread it is. The more powerful it is, the more reliant it is. If one part collapses, it would ripple out. Visualized total collapse. Vanguard mouse parties are totally unnecessary to combat this totality, probably counterproductive. Instead, individual micropecal interventions could come, could form an open conspiracy. Mercuse's suggestion of the great refusal still seems applicable to fighting democracy. The spirit of Nottingham Woods could return, namely the spirit of Luddism. Finally, it will it will be a struggle against the virtual reality matrix to control. The wrenches are still there, even if they're hard to see. You know, it's weird, because I would almost tell him like a... Uh, uh, Optimist. A lot of what he talks about is extremely optimistic, um, really inspiring. I have to say, and I appreciate again everything he writes. A beautiful writer. Um, I hope it's just it's not coming off repetitive, but I, I just I feel I feel good when I read this. And I've I've since I finished it a few weeks ago, I've I've, I've had the chance to go through some of these essays again, and it just every time I read them, I always feel really good. Another really important essay, jumping ahead few a uh, few essays, is command line, control line. Um The opening uh, kind of paragraph here is, computer technology is portrayed as a liberatory agent presented as something that can empower the individual. Yet as computers proliferate, it seems as if the individual faces greater oppression, more control in their daily lives. Computer technology still plays a part in this,
1: provides an engine for management, control, and surveillance. Uh, and it goes into how basically, you know, there's something
0: within the, the system, the computer system, that it's not like a hammer, right? It's the most identifiable way of how just machines control us. Um, you know, and I'll quote here, I'd like to think that computers are neutral, a tool like any other, a hammer that can build a house or smash a skull. But there's something in the system
1: itself, in the formal logic of programs and data, that recreates the world in its own image an early critic of the ideology and practice of cyberculture in Silicon Valley. And it goes into,
0: too, how like computers don't work, they manage work, right? They delegate work, they organize work, and distribution consumption, That like there's something there that's so totalitarian that you can't escape, like the basis of just the way computers are and what their purpose are, are from what their purpose is. And I find that this is so important. Um, And how it's also the advent of and growth of computers is affecting the way capitalism works, kind of going back a little bit to semi-capitalism, but how like, it's much less physical, more that you can, you don't have to go to a store anymore. We've seen how Amazon and, and such are monopolizing retail stores, but they're not even always physical, right? Like you do have some of those like Amazon grocery store things, but they're just like the market, the free market, so to speak, the capitalist market is digital right? I'm going to quote very quickly here. Their internet is clearly assaulting the physical presence of the retail store, which goes along with the market of capitalism towards pure capital. Capital transformed into um craft. With the development of 3D printing, we may soon be downloading our, all our goods and having all only our printer epoxy delivered, which is crazy to consider. Uh, but again, just he's pointing out things that I think a lot of us know but don't or know how to say, if that makes sense. We say in a way that it's just valid, just different. Um, and he does he uh, quotes a few people that are kind of like conspiracy theorists, like Jim Keith, talks about the relations between social control and cybernetics. Again, it's super important. Uh, and he says, before we reject Keith as a paranoid crank, I want to remind everyone that he started as a publisher of design, dharma dharma combat one of the finest publications of its time jim demonstrated clearly that in that design that he had a strong grasp of cutting-edge anarchist and situationist theory besides he had a strong practice based on the sort of animate anim, antimonian excuse me antimonian spiritual way of liberation with an orientation towards ill religion the paranoid mindset could only be one way to understand could be the only way to understand the actual, actuality of systems of control so Speaking. Uh, the Internet becomes a form of cybernetic control system it is a rhizomatic, decentralized form of control. Control is no longer separate. It becomes internalized and distributed. And then he has a subtitle here, communist gangster, computer, god, government. <laughs> and he goes on how leftists very very much are kind of like inter- in, internalized a lot of this thinking. Tetney um, calls it like techno-Christianity referred to uh, someone else who's, who uses that term um talks but trying kind of how like also people have kind of rejected the physical world in favor of the spiritual world the spirituals the internet the this the cyberspace which i underlined it was like this is noctic right Again, techno christian technonoctic whatever you want to call it it it's a religion this kind of worship of the this rejection of the meat space in favor of the cyberspace is, is religious, right? It's kind of how science is religion. It's a it's further development of that. Final thing I'll quote. But talking about the transformation of humans into cyborgs makes people roll their eyes. This seems like a loony science fiction, but that's only because they are stuck in the cruddy old views they get from the bionic woman in A, B and B movies. They were, under, they were an attempt to look where, at, where, at where we were heading, but were, of course, limited by the ability of perspective. The reality of our cyborg transformation transformation will actually be much more insidious and invisible it will involve technology that won't even that we can't even imagine yet but which we would gradually become accustomed to and assimilated into which is something I think that's valid especially not just with basic technology in the sense of integrating it but like genetic testing and genetic engineering things like that he has a really interesting critique of virtual reality I won't quote too much from because I'm starting to realize how much of how much of it I'm i reading here. But again, it's just it's one of those words that because it's collection of essays like this, it's just almost easier to kind of go through some of the bit better essays to give you an idea of what you can expect when reading this. Uh but what I did notice when I was reading the the VR troopers, the virtual virtuality of reality, which is a oh technology or reality is becoming virtual and vice versa, that it's like you know, Facebook's new metaverse, right? Or the the blockchain of NFTs that you can if you haven't seen it, there's like a, oh my god, it's Olive Garden virtual, but it, it's like you can buy a version, of like the, a, a cyber version of Olive Garden, but it's not even really associated with Olive It's so strange. And it, like when I was into like, as I'm reading all this shit with NFTs is blowing up, and it's it's so interesting that it, it's timely, even though I know some of these essays are older. And he has a one, uh, one essay called cybernetics vs. Chaos, Technocratic ideology and its influence on countercultural currents. Quote, cybernetics is the theory of controlling nonlinear systems, not just the f- theory of nonlinear systems. It is the technique of harnessing and domesticating chaos. It is the method of using digital flux situation to further imprint the dominant control machine upon society. In cybernetics, every break and transgression against the system is used and directed toward the preservation and strengthening of that system, uh, which to me both is also dissimilar to how capitalism fixes itself with recuperation. Um, this is a fairly dense one once more, uh, the issue of cybernetics, so I won't get too much into it, um, but I think everyone should read more about cybernetics, and I, that's why I really recommend this as he touches on some serious topics that I don't think are talked about enough in the green Energy movement. Um, and that's several pages. And he does get into Deleuze and, and, Deleuze and um, uh which I always I always appreciate when people bring into the green Energy space. He has some stuff on Nick Land I won't get into. Um, that's not stuff I really want to talk about as much, uh, but he calls it right-wing nihilism. Um, it's an interesting critique if you're familiar. It's one I was I didn't follow it as much because I don't know shit about Nick And When he quotes him on that, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is this fucking gibberish? Um, here's one thing about the movie uh, Blue Velvet and The Shadow Self. The Shadow Self is something I got really into when I was um, in community college when I watched uh, a, a miniseries that got into that stuff and I read some psychology about it. For those that don't know, the shadow self is kind of like this, like your your subconscious that's like animalistic and, and violent or what that's kind of how we kind of present it, um or the sexuality. Um, and it talks about kind of like how we have to confront ourselves. Uh, it's one of those ones that kind of stands out. Because uh, it's it's very different from the rest, because it's not like explicitly, like, oh, yeah, technology and, and all that, but you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like a more of a, it's a social writing, and it gets into Alistair Crowley and the Satanic Church and, and such, and it was really interesting. Um, what he, I think some of his best stuff isn't when it's just necessarily out-in-your-face out, out in your face anti-tech, but some of this more social commentary. Not to say the rest of it's not good. Um, another one that it's the the whole front, the first page is totally underlined. Uh, Mind Forged Manacles, Further Thoughts on Psychiatry and Social Control, for those that are interested in like an anti-psychiatry perspective. This essay is amazing. Quote, I reject the pathology model of mental illness as promoted by the psychiatry, like... Gavin, cut that. I reject the pathology model of mental illness as promoted by the psychiatric and medical community. There's something that strikes me as authoritarian in the notion that certain modes of thought are objectively sick. Ideally, the notion of neurodiversity should mean something more than begging for pity. That does not mean I don't care about the plight of those labeled as mentally ill. And he goes on and talks about what it looks like is that, you know, we should be able to communally help people, but it's also like how it's moved from kind of a punitive system to a rehabilitative system to a community-based, and he references John Zerzan, his future primitive work, which is really nice. and then, uh, because people I'm sure will be having a knee jerk reaction, I'll quote it again from him. To be clear, this is not to say people do not have troubles. It is not to say people should not support each other. I certainly believe that people need to support each other. I think it would be possible to do this better. If people stop degrading and subjecting themselves, subjugating themselves. The
1: concept that there is something ill in a person for how they are should be rejected, is degrading. and does not how it get canceled or something. <laughs> uh, he, The person next to him thought he was being like, caught up in like
0: a psyop or something. And like, basically the whole point of the story is that like, how much of it it's like, he's scared of how like, they can become autonomous, like a federal agent does something to you or whatever. And that we internalize and that we police ourselves um one of the more interesting ones, again, is left-handed Christianity. He talks about how there's like left-hand Christianity or kind of this Gnostic, no, heretical, non-Orthodox kind of view um, references him to David Thoreau, the Antimonian Christians, Hermeticism, um, the Process Church, What I never heard about before. It's super interesting. I won't get too much into that either, uh, but it kind of like an option of, like a like a spiritual outlet that some people might be interested in in, in recognizing. On um, one of the last essays here is transgression or affirmation, uh, and it goes just kind of into how art can be used essentially. Um, and it's something that I was I had some differences with it, and it goes into the Di- Dionysian OM Theater in the the, the liner uh, aka Int- Intimonious group. I think is how that's said, and it's basically just like. Uh, I'll just quote, and I guess I can put a trigger warning here. If you're not into gore or super sexual content, I would probably skip ahead a few minutes. Uh, quote, taboos were regularly violated during the public performances. The performers masturbated in raw meat, randomized each other, and ate shit. The goal of the performance was to shock the audience. They, however, were not explicitly explicit in that they were attempting to shock the audience into examining their own taboos. This was intended as a ritualistic ordeal to change and in shift in thought. thought. Um, it's super interesting uh goes into just how art and such or even how horror movies kind of have this sort of taboo, how often it's like a serial killer entering an unkillable serial killer entering a suburban neighborhood and confronting typically well off white white people in <laughs> um, the last essay is future tension um Opens up with what happens in the future. The 21st century was supposed to be a new era. Basically, the relationship with technology and everything, um, and how like the idea of like the future is just often monopolized. Like we're on this path. There's no way to stop it. It just keeps going. And you connect that to leftism again, especially with the Marxist use of historical determinism to prove that their own quote control philosophy was correct, or that the United States quote used manifest destiny to justify occupation of the continent. Um, it is interesting how history can be weaponized. Um, and that's something actually, I I'm, the first time I'm reading Endgame by the piece of Derek Johnson, and he goes into that himself a little bit, how history is just a perspective. Um, so I refer to many, but not all of the essays. So it's not like I gave you everything. Um, I wish I could just easily say like, oh, this is what it's about, this and that, but it's hard because again, like the, subta- the subtitle, Rant, Polemics, and Critical Theory, Against the planetary work machine like that's loaded but it's so I again
1: i know i would say the the work on um uh Nick land
0: was a little hard to get into i think there's one or two others that i started with there's only really re- those three i would say there's about three three of them i was like okay let me step back and look some of the stuff up um that was my the biggest one for me. And there's so many flyers, again, I can't really get into them without just kind of telling you what some of them say. But a lot of them, they're just a bunch of really interesting pictures that go along with these essays, and they're just so amazing. You have to look at them yourself, right? Um, so Invisible Generation, Rant Polemics, and Critical Theory Against the Planetary Work Machine by Jason Rogers, by um, Atano Media, uh, which I believe is out. Is, it's hard to I see it on Amazon, but I... Their website wasn't super clear, and again, I've had had issues getting in contact with Jason because I haven't had the chance to send out a fucking letter. Um, So when we get more information, it'll be in the description for those that are curious. Uh, I would 100% recommend getting the book, um, the price of which um, I'm not super familiar on. I kind of just really, I just got it sent to me, and I was like, who the fuck is this? Because I was trying to think, I was like, Jason Rogers. I was like, I know that name. And he just says, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Steve so told me to send you this, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, so, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of information about getting it, but when I do, obviously, like I said, it'll be in the description with, with where to get it. And if I can find ways to maybe, if I can find some of them that are online, some of his um, this wires, I'll put them in the description for people that are curious. Uh, and again, I would check out Out Journal, which is how I got in contact with Steve and Steve's family uh, or whatever. Um, because I know they haven't come out with a, a new edition yet. But any of their older stuff, one one through three, are amazing. And I would recommend going and checking them out. Anything by Jason Rogers that you find is amazing. He's done work with Green Anarchy and some other Green Anarchist journals. So I definitely recommend going going and check these out. I'll stop rambling now. Um it's I think this video is gonna be about an hour, maybe a little bit less, looking what it's like. Um so I hope this was informative because again I'm trying to figure out a bit of how do book reviews, because I want to do more, because people, you know, we got sent Total Liberation by Anonymous, but we struggled how we even send that. I had an old, old episode that I never got out uh, that was about it, but I didn't know how to fucking even talk about a book at the time, and then, and I got sent Zerzan's book, and then now I have this, Um, so I, I am curious, because I want to engage with people, if you find this method, this method as opposed to maybe how I did the Zerzan book review is more effective, let me know. If there's something you'd rather I get into than I didn't in this, let me know because you know, this is something, like I said, I'm starting with, it's kind of new for the channel, uh, but I do find it interesting. Um, if I can, again, I want to get Jason on in the future because he has some really amazing ideas, but again, uh, he talks about how he doesn't even have an email in, in the book, um, so maybe maybe I can't, maybe I could, but it'd be interesting. So again, this is episode 20 of the on Civil Life podcast, Invisible Generation by
1: Jason Rogers, published by Tano Media. Go and check it out.